Uh, well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to John's and those who've heard today already, if you've not met before. My name's Anil and I'm the associate here. Um, let's bow our heads to pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your side, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, if you were here, you'd know if you'd caught up online. Uh, John began his sermon by asking us the question, what is your life all about? Well, I want to sharpen that question just a little bit uh, this morning. Instead of asking, uh, what is your life all about? I want to ask, what is your life shaped around? And let me give you an example. When I was um, a younger, I can remember that some of the best football players around were Eric Cantona and, and uh, uh, I can't remember now, can I? Eric Cantona and Ian Wright and David Beckham. Uh, and I remember that lots of my friends really wanted to be just like David Beckham. So they practiced all his moves. They, they chose him on their teams on FIFA. They bought his kit. They watched every match. Uh, they knew every fact about him from their top trump cards. They, they wanted to eat the food he ate. They brought the cereal he advertised. Uh, they grew their hair long and dyed it blonde and wore their sister's hairbands to, to tie it all back. They would have said, they would have said it this way, but, but for them, if you'd asked them, to live is David Beckham. Their love and their enthusiasm for David Beckham had so consumed them that they came to completely identify with him. That's the key word, to identify with David Beckham. It's often something we grow out of, isn't it? These kind of all-consuming obsessions that consume all of who we are, that shape us. But not for Paul. Uh, look down with me at verse 21 of Philippians chapter 1, if you have the Bible open with you. Paul writes this, For me, to live is Christ. Uh, Paul doesn't say to live is to serve Christ, even though he does. And he doesn't say to live is to please Christ, even though he does. No, Paul writes to live is Christ. In other words, Paul is saying that for him, to live is to completely identify with Jesus Christ. That his life is completely shaped around Jesus, is molded around Jesus as the center. That his decisions, his interests, his priorities, his attitudes, uh, as much as they can be, are molded around Jesus. I was reminded uh, just before this sermon that um, you know, a stick of rock has a, a, a title going all the way through it, maybe Brighton Beach. And if you cut that stick of rock at any point, it'll say Brighton throughout it. Well, like for Jesus, if you, uh, for Paul, uh, wherever you were to, 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 to oh, I don't want to say to cut Paul, but it would say Jesus Christ throughout the middle of it. That didn't work quite how I planned. What God will show us from his word this morning is that for Paul, Christ was his life. The question God has for each of us uh, sitting here and watching in line, is Christ your life? For Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? This has been a a rather long introduction, but but an important one. Let's uh, now uh, look down at verse 12 here, Bible open. Uh, Paul is writing his letter from prison whilst he's in chains. Uh, But rather than seeing this as something that might hinder or prevent the gospel, the good news of of Jesus, that that repentance brings forgiveness of sins, rather than hindering that, it actually is doing the opposite. The gospel is advancing. The whole palace guards and, and everyone else know the reason that Paul is in chains for Jesus. I don't know about you, it can be so easy, can't it, to to go through your week and never really express your love for Jesus, to say his name. Uh, We can feel it's inappropriate to do it at work. 
or that we're not close enough to our neighbours to, to tell them, or that our friends know we're a Christian, so we don't want to go on Bible bashing them all the time, do we? Or that school just isn't the right context for it. Or, or our family would only give us aggro if we brought it up again. Or we, we don't quite know that person well enough on the commute. Or, or that person in the cafe or the shop, they haven't really got time to listen to us. I don't know about you, but for me, it can be easy to leave church after this service and to go my whole week before coming back here next Sunday without even mentioning the name of Jesus to anyone else. Maybe it's the same for you. Not for Paul, though. For Paul, it didn't matter if he was in chains in prison or on a boat being wrecked by the sea or in a house or in the local shopping center. For Paul, he couldn't keep quiet about Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, for Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? And for Paul, knowing that the name of Jesus was being talked about widely gave him great joy. Verse 18. Now, you might have heard recently in the news that the story of Hatton Tash, uh, the Christian street preacher who was stabbed at Speaker's Corner back in August for talking about Jesus. I don't, know, I don't know what emotion uh, comes to you when you think about Hatton Tash and what she was doing, or, or like other evangelists who have uh, 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 signs out on street corners, controversial signs perhaps. Uh, maybe we feel embarrassed by them. Maybe we feel angry about how they are treated and the erosion of free speech, particularly religious free speech in the public square. <laughs> or maybe, maybe like me sometimes, you feel a bit uncomfortable about being associated with these kinds of Christians. I wonder if joy is a feeling you have when you think about these kinds of street preachers. Because that's what I think Paul would feel. I think Paul would rejoice that Christ is being preached. In fact, he tells us just as much in verse 18. But what does it matter, Paul writes? The important thing is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. You see, brothers and sisters, for Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? Whatever we feel about this kind of evangelism, uh, we should pray for those who do it. Because God works through our prayers, verse 19. Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Did you catch that? <laughs> it's mind-blowing for me that God is pleased to listen to and use our prayers for his work in the lives of other people. Our prayers. Yes, your individual prayers when you're, you're praying on your own during your quiet time. But remember, Paul is writing to a church here, a gathering of people who are praying together corporately for Paul. God listens to and uses the prayers which we just said together when Sarah led us. Do you believe it? That as Sarah lifted before the Lord on our behalf, interceding with us for Sarah Everard and her family, for the people of her home nation of Nigeria, for the fuel pump crisis, that God may use those prayers that she just said, along with his spirit, to accomplish his will. Do you believe it, church? Oh, 
wasn't expecting that. God will listen to and use the prayers that we will pray together tomorrow night at Boiler Room and next Sunday night at Kingdom Come. We believe in a God who delights to hear our prayers. And as Paul writes, a God who works through our prayers. When Jesus Christ is your life, there are very few things, very few things that you will take greater joy in than the fact that you have free and unlimited access to come before and speak to the Lord and creator of the entire universe. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, wherever in time, whatever situation, you can speak to him and he hears you. You see, brothers and sisters, for Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? Come along tomorrow night and pray with us together. Or join us next Sunday evening and pray with us together and watch, just watch how God answers and works through our prayers for his glory. Uh, We've sped through the first half of this passage, but uh, let's now look at verses 12 to 19 and slow down a bit to take our time, uh, particularly looking at verse 20 onwards. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, I've got to tell you, as I was uh, reading and praying over this passage, as we discussed at the staff team, as my wife, Spree, and I looked at it and prayed together, uh, my heart became so swollen with love for Jesus that I wanted more and more than anything for him to be my life. Let me share with you now what got me so emotional. Uh, you remember earlier, you, you forget it, uh, during the early part of the COVID pandemic, uh, that the public came together in praise and support for the NHS. I was driving uh, for a meeting uh, in Tooting earlier in the week, and I, I came through somewhere, I think it was Stretterman, and emblazoned on the street in front of me as I was driving was a big rainbow and NHS heroes uh, printed on the road. That's what we called our key workers, wasn't it? Heroes, and rightly so. A hero is someone who is admired for their courage, outstanding achievement, or noble qualities. And this is what we saw in the NHS staff, wasn't it? Those who every day woke up, uh, put on a face covering, uh, and walked into the front line of the war zone that was and is our global pandemic. Every day they faced the risk of catching the coronavirus. Every day they faced the risk of dying because of it. I remember speaking to some nurses in our church family who essentially quarantined themselves in another part of their home when they were there, shielding themselves away from their husbands and uh, wives and children for fear of passing on the virus, being uh, 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 quarantined in their own house away from their families for weeks on end. These were and are our heroes who face potential sickness and death every single day in order to care for the vulnerable, the sick, and the dying. And other key workers, uh, teachers, shop assistants, delivery drivers, they're all our heroes, aren't they? Now, granted, many of them didn't have a choice. Some were forced to go into work or face losing their jobs. But each day they did, they gave up their comfort security and safety to serve those who are put in their care each day. You know, when I reflected on this passage, I came to see Paul as a hero to me. Because, brothers and sisters, for Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? Let me read to you uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll start at verse 1. 
Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on in visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that that no one is permitted to tell. Now, I'm sure this will be a familiar passage to many of you sitting here. The first thing to be aware of is that Paul is writing about himself, that he is the man in Christ who had the vision and revelation from the Lord. The second thing to be aware of is that here in the Bible, we have one of the few glimpses of the heavenly realm. A realm that in some way Paul was permitted to visit, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. This place God took Paul to was paradise, not just like paradise, it was paradise. I don't know, a brilliant, perfect, dazzling, I can't even begin to, to imagine the things Paul saw and heard. In fact, the things Paul heard were so inexpressible, he couldn't even write them down and tell us if he wanted to. They were so transcendent, so otherworldly, so wonderful. And even if he wanted to share what he had seen, God would not allow him to. Even going so far as to to giving him a thorn in the flesh to prevent him from speaking about it. What does this have to do with our passage today? Brothers and sisters, don't you see? This experience Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians happened maybe six to nine years before Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. Paul had in some small, sweet way, had a foretaste of what being in the presence of Jesus would be like. Like a a nibble of an appetizer on the greatest banquet you'll ever see. And this tiny taste for Paul was paradise. So here is Paul sitting in chains, writing his letter, and he thinks ahead to what the next few days will bring. And he believes he is going to be executed for his faith. We call this martyrdom. We know that's what he's thinking because he writes, to die is gain. And in verse 21, and that, that word die there in the original is about the act or the way of dying, to be martyred. Like Paul is saying something like, to die by execution for Jesus will lead to Christ being exalted, verse 20, which is gain, a win for the gospel. So Paul is sitting here, contemplating his impending martyrdom, and suddenly, Paul becomes overwhelmed with emotion when he realizes that in his death, he will be immediately united with Jesus. That's what we believe happens to a believer. That as they die or go to sleep, as the Bible talks about it, they in some immediate way open their eyes into the presence of the Lord, awaiting the time when he will come back to earth, raising everyone who has ever lived from the beginning of time to then back to life, judging some to eternity with him and his father and spirit, and others to an eternity without him. We call that hell. That's what it means to depart and be with Christ, verse 23. And when Paul contemplates these two possible futures, that on the one hand he could be with Jesus in paradise, as our Lord promised a thief on the cross, 
or on the other hand, living and serving Jesus, he is torn. He doesn't know which to choose. Paul has tasted paradise six years ago or so. And he knew better than anyone alive what departing this life to be with Christ was like. He knew it. And he knew it was better by far than compared to being alive and living, he says, verse 23. So what would Paul choose? What would you choose? I think I know what I would choose. What does Paul conclude, verse 24? But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will, be, will abound on account of me. This is why Paul came to be a hero to me this week. Paul looked at the comfort, the safety, the security, the unspeakable and inexpressible joy of paradise. He looked at all that and he said, no. It is more necessary for me to carry on serving Christ by ministering amongst his people, even if that means sitting in chains in a smelly old jail. Like our NHS heroes, Paul chose to continue to serve Jesus on the front line rather than to enjoy the ease of paradise. This is what it means to make Christ your life. To be so shaped around Jesus, to so identify with Jesus that you are willing to hold off the most glorious treasures that this world can offer and the next in order to serve him faithfully so that Christ will be exalted in you. Brothers and sisters, for Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? How can we be sure? How do I know that Paul's actions here, Paul's choices are shaped around Jesus? Because... Brothers and sisters, let's not forget that Jesus willingly swapped the glory of heaven for the squalor of a stable. Jesus willingly swapped the worship of angels for the visiting of some smelly shepherds. Jesus willingly swapped the splendor of his throne for the discomfort of straw in a donkey's feeding trough. Jesus willingly swapped his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns. Jesus willingly swapped his exaltation in heaven for his execution being nailed on a Roman cross. The author of the letter to the Hebrews tells us plainly in chapter 12 that it was for the joy, there's that word again, joy, that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Joy. The joy of Christian service. The joy of Christian life. In all its ups and downs. Just, just imagine that for a moment, that as Jesus sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane, as he agonized over his father's will for him to die on the cross, in the moment that Jesus stopped wrestling, he was overcome with joy, says the author to Hebrews. The joy of being obedient to his father's will, the joy of defeating Satan and liberating all God's children, us who believe from death and the powers of evil, it was for joy. And for Paul, it was joy too. 
After Jesus, our Lord and Savior, died, he was raised back to life by the power of God's Spirit. And a little while later, he was raised up to heaven to rule and reign over the entire cosmos, where he reigns today alive. And one day he will come back, just as we sung about, just as he promised. But where Paul's eventual death would mean God's people would no longer have him with them, Jesus has not left us alone. But instead, he has placed inside of all of us who believe his holy and life-giving spirit, the comforter, our advocate, uniting us with him and with each other. Brothers and sisters, Jesus swapped paradise to identify with us completely in our humanity, in all its messiness, in its pain, its sorrows, its hardships, and its joys. And he looked ahead to his own execution with joy. This is what Christ's life on earth was like. This is what it means to make Christ our life. Jesus completely identified with us so that we who believe will be identified as his. Brothers and sisters, for Paul, Christ was his life. Is he yours? Please bow your heads to pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for this letter of the Philippians. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, who for joy lived the life we couldn't live in his death, paying the penalty our sin deserves. And by his exaltation and resurrection and reigning now of you in heaven has assured and guaranteed all of us who believe the joy of paradise as we wait for your second coming Father God, by your spirit, work in us all. That we will be so shaped around and molded around your son, his life, his priorities, his commands, that we would be identified completely as his. And we would do this for joy. Lord, soften the areas of our hearts that have become hard-hearted against serving you completely. Break our hearts of stone if we have not yet come to see you as your son as our saviour. A place around us, brothers and sisters, in this family who will encourage, equip and enable us to continue to serve you with joy. And Lord, we look forward to to that day when we will stand before you face to face. Uh, Not just in uh, some uh, heavenly realm, but on this earth where you ruling and reigning in the joy of your presence for eternity. Thank you, Lord. Amen.